0: Let's read this together in Exodus 5. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cried, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is being given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks! And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord God. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. A little bit more? Yep. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in the trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why, Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. And we're going to read just a little bit in chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord." Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel haven't listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of of uncircumcised lips." But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's long. Thanks for hanging with me. Let's pray real quick. Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word and now uh, the teaching of it. I pray that you would meet us here. Um, We just really struggle to know what to do with uh, stuff in the Old Testament with these passages. I pray that you would make it eminently Clear what it is that you would have for us to learn tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, when I was okay, when I was growing up, we had a lot of kids in our neighborhood, and so we would always get together and play football games, and we would play army and all sorts of different stuff, and we would run around. Uh, like crazy people, actually. But um, <clears throat> there was one day we were playing uh, a neighborhood football game out in front of my friend uh, J.J.'s house. J.J. and Matt were brothers. J.J. was my age. And another friend named Trent had, had walked down the street, and he was playing with us. And during the course of this football game, there was probably ten or so kids there. This really big kid, he was probably three years older than we were, he... I would say he tackled Trent, but that would be an understatement. He demolished Trent. Like, I mean, just mowed him over one time. And um, Trent got up and started arguing, with, arguing with him. And they started talking about, you know, you could picture this. He's like, "Well, my dad can beat up your dad." "No, he can't." "Yes, he can." Da, da, da. So they went and called their dads, actually. Um, and uh, JJ's dad. Uh, the Grant, Jimmy Grantham came out uh, into the front yard, as did Terry uh, Terry Drake, Trent Drake's dad, walked down the street, and all of a sudden there's ten kids and two dads, and they are really up in each other's face. I can't say anything of what they said, but they were up in each other's face just going at each other. I really thought I was about to see my first adult fight in real life. I was terrified. Um, but it was just so... It's funny now as you look back on it, because it's like the quintessential, my dad can be up your dad thing, um, but it was real, and it was happening right in front of us. Well, what we see in this passage tonight really amounts to the, fight, to the shouting match right before the fight. That Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh's presence. They are talking with him. Pharaoh is coming back to them saying things. And then in chapter 6, God goes back and shouts again, very clearly about what's about to happen. But in true Exodus fashion, this story mirrors our own stories. Because as the, as the various gods that you and I actually functionally live and serve every single day, even if you're a Christian, these things that we very practically give our time and our attention and our lives and our energy to, these things are begging for every ounce that you have and they are saying, who is your God? You're so, you're so silly, you're so naive to actually believe in the Bible and in that God. And we have to hear, what we have to hear tonight in this message, and really it's the resounding gong throughout Scripture, is that God comes and says, your God is bigger than their God. Your God is bigger than any other thing that would stand up and to pretend to be a God in your life. And so we're going to see this in three ways tonight. The first is the nature of false gods. The second is our friends and our false gods. And thirdly, how God picks a fight with false gods. So the first thing, the nature of false gods. Um, Right off the bat in verse 1, Moses says uh, this. He says, Thus says the Lord. Now, in ancient times, when, when this book was written, throughout all of ancient culture, any time this formula was employed in a speech or in a document or anything, what followed was purported to be the speech or the, the, the talk of a deity. And so when Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh's presence and say, Thus says the Lord, this three-word combination, they were saying, The Lord, whose name was Yahweh, he is a deity. He is a God. And this is what he says. Okay? So, so God is coming in and saying that. Now, Pharaoh's answer back to Moses and Aaron in verse 2 isn't him saying, I've never heard of him. Who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord? What he says, though, is I don't know him. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about how in Hebrew the word know is a real intimate word. It's a word used to talk about a very close relationship or knowledge of someone. And so what Pharaoh is saying is, you look, he's no God. He's no God. And what he goes on to say is, why don't you get back to your jobs I can't have my massive number of slaves resting because they think this God is telling them to come and let them go. Go back, work, and work harder even. But in verse 6 and 7, an interesting thing happens. He tells, it says that he tells the taskmasters, uh, I think it's under there. Yeah, leave it there. It says, um, he tells the taskmasters and the foremen to stop giving the people straw for their bricks. Which, if you think about it, straw was necessary for bricks to hold their composure and to stick together. Otherwise, they just become dirt clods and fall apart. So, but he tells them to stop giving them straw, but to go find it themselves. Now, it says that there are taskmasters and foremen. Now, we would just blow right past that, but it's really important. It's going to set up for something in just a minute. The taskmasters were Egyptian people. They were on Pharaoh's side, and they had been employed and hired to go and watch over this huge... Now, this huge people, nation, family that had grown up in their midst. But the foremen were actually Israelites. They were people who were of this family, and they were now kind of working in tandem with these taskmasters to to divvy up the chores and to drive the labor and to do all of this stuff. Okay, let me pause there for a second. Think about, uh, I talked just a minute ago about the nature of false gods, the things that we actually live for. The things that you wake up every day and you say, "I've got to do this." Some of those things are fine. Some of those are schoolwork. Some of those are actual, like you know, job work where you go and make money. Um, some of you have other sort of responsibilities. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about are those unspoken things in your life that keep you going. They drive you. There's the things that when you have a few spare moments in the day and you have some time to process your thoughts or, or maybe daydream a little bit, they're the things where your mind and your heart go. There's are the things that have you. For some of you, that's, that's a relationship. That's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe the prospect of a boyfriend or girlfriend, someone who you want to like you. And so you, you're dreaming about it. You're conniving. You're figuring out a way to position yourself in front of them so that they will start liking you. Others of you, it's your resume, right? These are things we talk about a lot, these things that, that I know through conversation with you that you think about all the time. How can I do better in my classes so I can get into grad school? How can I, you know, pad my resume with all these different volunteer hours and these service organizations and all this stuff? But even beneath that, the real driving thing is that you want others just to see you as better than what you think you are. You want them to see you as as someone who is smart or as someone who is accomplished or as someone who can get that kind of girl or that kind of guy or whatever it is. And so you'll do any number of things to do that and to, to secure that kind of hold on whatever it is. You will gossip about people. You will put the people around you down all the time so you elevate yourself. You will never say no to people who ask you to be an officer in an organization or to be a certain position in SA or in Cabinet or in Senate or in your Engineering Without Borders or whatever it may be. You you can't ever say no because if, if you were to say no, somehow that would speak something deeply about who you are, that you're not capable of doing that. Or that you're not, I don't know, you just couldn't pull it off. It would feel like a personal attack, like a personal letdown if you were to say no to that. Some of you, you just live this day in day out hamster wheel of slavery Just to make people think that you're a nice person, and so you go to all ends to never let anyone see you upset or disappointed about anything in your life, or any choice that you've made, or any circumstance that's going on. You just you put off this front of being nice and together, but you know that's not real. You know that inside your your heart and your life is in turmoil. Because you're you're failing over here or your parents are disappointed with you over there or you feel like you're letting God down in any number of ways. These are the kind of things that we actually live for day in, day out. And there's plenty more I didn't talk about. Some of you live for pleasure. You'll go to all ends just to get pleasure and to, to be stimulated or for entertainment or whatever it is. These are the functional gods of your life. They are false gods, but they assert themselves as gods nonetheless. And they demand more and more of you. And they run you ragged. You know they do. Whatever it is that's going through your mind, you know that the moment you stop feeding that beast, it comes clawing back, seeking to destroy you. So here's Pharaoh and he's not acknowledging Yahweh as, as God or anything like that. And he sends the taskmasters and the foremen back to the Israelites. And in verse 10, he tells them this, and this is so important. He looks at them and says, Thus says Pharaoh. Earlier, thus says Yahweh. Yahweh's claiming to be a God. Now Pharaoh's just throwing it right back at him You're no God. I'm God. Thus says Pharaoh, and he goes on to tell him to get back to work. Pharaoh is making clear in that statement what's been hinted at in these first few chapters of Exodus, that he thinks that he is the supreme being in the world. And actually the Egyptians in that culture, they worshipped Pharaoh as God. He was a manifestation of the sun god Ra, and oftentimes other gods too. He was the supreme being in their culture, and he is asserting that very thing right there. He is saying, I am God. You don't listen to your little phony, fake Yahweh God. You listen to me, and you get back to work. And that's the exact same refrain that happens with the false gods in our lives. That whenever you begin to let it down and slack off, whenever you even think about saying no to joining that organization, there's all that shame and guilt rushing in to say, no, I can't do that. And so you sign up anyway, even if you don't want to do it. You just do it. Because it's what you've always done. You can't imagine not living that way. But we need to know who it is that goes and says these words on behalf of Pharaoh. It's the Egyptian taskmasters and, as I mentioned, the Israelite foreman their own people had begun to follow Pharaoh. They had begun to align themselves with this thing, this this man claiming to be God. And who, quite honestly, we probably would have done the same thing. Because in the midst of that time, they were still in slavery. And Pharaoh seemed to be pretty powerful. He seemed to be the one that was in charge And so let's consider what it looks like when those around us begin to join with the false gods too. What about our friends? What happens when that starts happening? Uh, You know, it's the the idea of selling out. It's why people, Macklemore fans, got really mad at them after they played that song in the NBA, uh, in the All-Star game. You know, online the blogs lit it up about, oh, Macklemore selling out, you know, they're no longer indie and all this stuff, because they sold out to the NBA to make this uh, halftime thing, this thing to Michael Jordan. Um, we know what it's like, actually more personally, when we have friends who maybe leave the faith, who grew up in the Christian faith and who abandon it. Or just even when you have friends who go leave your friend group and join another friend group. We would call it selling out. They... They want nothing more to do with us and they're gone and they're selling out. You know what it looks like. People who become consumed with materialism. Some of you, it's your parents. As, as your dads and moms have, have got more and more promotions, you see their lives becoming more and more oriented around the stuff they have. And you see how that stuff begins to fill their lives and to give them some sort of worth and significance. And they keep feeding that beast of, of trying to keep up with what's new or what's in style. Some of you, it's you. Some of you, it's your friends. You know what this looks like. Others, you see, uh, you see your friends go toward excessive drinking, you know, and they just are living for that pleasure at all costs, drinking all the time. Some of, that's some of you in here. You decide that's where joy is to be found. That's where life is to be found. So you give yourself to excessive drinking, excessive eating, whatever. You think that's where joy is. You live for others' approval and so on. But those things are dangerous because they begin to contort our souls. They begin to change the very fabric of who we are. We start doing things that we we thought we'd never do. Some of you came to college and said, I I will never drink underage. And here you are a semester in, and you're thinking, man, I didn't think I would do this. I promised myself I wouldn't do this. I promised God. I promised my parents I wouldn't do this. I promised my friends. For some of you, it's going along with the crass and degrading jokes about others or about certain nationalities or ethnicities or races. For some of you, it's you give in to this or you see others around you giving in to wearing really provocative clothing. You know when you look in your closet and you see that, that dress or you see that shirt and you think, you know what, if I wear that, they'll look at me this certain way. And you start doing it or you have friends who have started to do that. So we have to be careful, though, lest all of us in our mind are thinking about our friends who have done that. Remember that you're, that you're someone's friend, too. So I want, to ask, I want you to ask the question of yourself, where would my friends, where would the people who know me best say that I'm selling out? Say that I'm changing, that I'm leaving maybe the things that I promised that I would be or the, the faith that I said I would stick to. And it's sad. That's hard. That's, that's a sad moment when we see that happening in us, when we see it happening in the people around us. And it was a sad moment for them. And we see perhaps the height of this sadness in verse 14 and 15. I think that's what's up here on the screen. Um, it, the people of Israel were failing to make the number of bricks they, sh- they were told to be making. And it says, And the foremen of the people of Israel. So these are their own brothers. These are their, their people of their own clan. The foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all of your making your task of making bricks and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh and said, Why do you treat your servants like this? Y'all they were so far gone that they look at Pharaoh and say, We are your servants. We are here to serve you. Why are you treating us this way? It seems so pathetic. And yet I think if we would be honest, again, we have those areas of our lives that we have just completely said, you know what, I know I shouldn't do that. but We just give our lives in service to these things anyway. And it degrades us. And it wears on us. And it's shameful. Yet we do it. We need something to change, we want something to be different. But we look around and it seems like we're losing. We're giving in, our friends are giving in. Pharaoh's heart is hard, it's unbudging, and the false gods around all of us look as if they're here to stay as well. And we can't imagine not living this way. Some of you can't imagine not dressing the way you do. Some of you can't imagine not living for people's approval. It seems impossible. It seems absolutely impossible. And so as chapter 5 draws to a close, quite honestly, we're in a much different place than I mean, we were in a chapter 4. In a chapter 4, they believe and they're worshiping and all this, and it's great. But by the end of chapter 5, things hadn't gone quite as planned. And Moses and Aaron go, <clears throat> excuse me, they've gone to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh hasn't given them what they thought was going to happen. God had promised then, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and yet at the end of this chapter, Pharaoh seems to be winning still. And so Moses and Aaron, at the end of the chapter, they look at God and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is impossible. Nothing's going to change. The exact same thing you think. Because we look around, and naturally speaking, we look at our our abilities and just our, our our sheer willpower, and we think, this is never going to change. I'm never going to be any different. If anything is going to change, God is going to have to show up and do something so dramatic that He's the only one who can take credit for it at the end of the day. He's going to have to do something so miraculous that God's going to be the only explanation for it. And so the question they were asking by the end of this chapter and at the end of this time in their lives was, God, are you going to do what you promised you would do or not? And for some of you, you're asking that same thing. God, are you going to do what you said you would do or not? So finally, we see that God picks a fight with our false gods. In, answer, in the answer to the drama of chapter 5, God stands up and essentially says this, game on. Now you're going to see what I'm about to do to Pharaoh. Now it is happening. It is going now. And he looks at Moses and Aaron. He says, this is who I am. I'm the Lord. I am the, I am. I am the one who made you at the burning bush, who is before time. I created everything. I am God. There is none like me. And he looks and he says, this is what I promised you to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've made this promise with them, this covenant with them. I'm going to bring them out of slavery. I'm going to give them this land. I'm going to do it. I am absolutely going to do it. And he looks at them and says, tell Israel that I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery, and I will redeem you, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and I will bring you into the land that that I swore to give them. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. He looks at them and says, all of my promises, everything I promised I would do is bound up in me and who I am. And he looks and says, even though y'all don't believe me, I don't care. Because at that time, Moses and the people of Israel still looked up and said, we don't, we're not buying it, Yahweh. We're not buying it. And it didn't matter. He's going to do it because someone had been messing with his children. Someone had been messing with his family. And he was jealous for them. And he was coming to get them back. God answers by saying, Pharaoh, I'm about to so overwhelm you and so just demolish you that there will be no question as to who the only true and living God is. And so God answers their question, are you going to do what you promised to do with the resounding yes, it's coming. It's coming. It's about to happen. And next week it starts. In chapter 7, The whole drama of what God does and how he just absolutely destroys Pharaoh begins. But that's next week. What about us? What about those of you who are waiting on God to come through, who are waiting on God to show up, who are trying to get past a struggle or an addiction or trying? You actually have identified one of these false gods, something you're giving your life to and you don't want to do it anymore. And you're praying, God, help me. I don't want to do this. Are you going to help me? Are you going to do what you said you'd do and free me from these these things, this stuff? In the most visible way, in the clearest demonstration of God's coming and delivering us, isn't by Him coming in great power, in great magnificence, and destroying these things and you know, taking your resume and ripping it up just miraculously in front of your face. It's not through Him coming and like bashing your beer bottles over your head. What He does, the way that He comes and overwhelms you and says, I'm the only one and true living God. He says, consider how beautiful I am. Consider how loving I am. Look at my son Jesus on the cross. He died for you. Do you know that? He died for you. But on the cross, in this bloody God-man, God is saying, don't you get that's what you deserved? And yet I didn't give that to you. I took the pain myself so that you might actually be free. And so that by my Spirit, you may actually stop doing the things that have you. And so I want to tell you, if you're a Christian tonight, the Holy Spirit is in you. And you can stop. You know you can stop. You know that that very moment when there's the question of, am I going to go drink too much or not? Or am I going to go drink underage or not? Or am I going to wear that shirt or not? Or am I going to sign up for this organization or not? There is a moment when you have a very clear choice to make. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is very clear. What God is saying is if you are a Christian... If you are believing in His Son Jesus for forgiveness of sins, then you have another Spirit at work in you. Not just that one that used to worship those things and still wants to cling for them. You have the Holy Spirit at work in you who is saying, you don't have to do that. Look at my Son Jesus on the cross. I'm with you. I'm for you. I have destroyed that stronghold in your life, you are no longer a slave to those things. Do you believe it? And that actually gets to the crux of the question for us. Do we believe it? What does faith look like? What does trusting God look like? The Israelites, man, they were having to trust in something that was yet future. They had seen a few things that Moses showed them, but they were trusting this promise of God or not trusting it as it was. He's saying, do you believe me or not? And the same thing for you. Do you believe or not? We can look back on Jesus and see all of that. And some of you, that doesn't feel like enough. And I actually don't know. God's not going to give you another sign. He's saying, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? There's this story, and I'll close with this. There's this story about a college student um, who was called to give a presentation for a speech class. <clears throat> uh, sorry, a speech for his physics class. And um, he could come up with whatever he wanted, but he had to demonstrate a principle that they had learned that semester. And so he decided to give his presentation over the law of a pendulum. And the law of the pendulum goes like this. It says a pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Okay, so think about it. If it's released up here at point A, it will swing over here to point B, and then when it comes back, it will not go as high as point A again. Most of you are like in physics twelve, so you're laughing at me. Um, I thought it was novel. So he spent twenty minutes explaining this and the physical properties of all of it, and then he made a small illustration with a little three foot string and like a you know a ball on the end of it. And by the end of that little presentation, he asked. Uh, he asked the class, do you believe this? And they all nodded. They all raised their hands and said, yes, we absolutely believe that. And then things got interesting. He asked his instructor to climb up on a table and sit in a chair with the back of his hand, his head against a cement wall. And so the professor would have been up here with his head at a cement wall. Uh, and the pendulum would have started right here. And what he had it anchored at the top of the room, right in the middle. And he let this huge weight Go. He started right here by the professor's head and he let it go. And so it swung and made its large swoop toward that end of the room. And it's coming back toward the professor. What do you think happened? The professor believed it. He just saw it demonstrated with a three foot piece of string. He taught the class for heaven's sakes. When that weight came back, the professor dove off the chair onto the stage. (laughs) The student turned to his classmates and said, does he believe in the law of the pendulum? They said no. Here's the deal. Faith is not this intellectual thing that we do to where you just kind of say, logically, I see how that can be true, I see how that can be true, nor is it just an experiential thing of, oh, I feel so good right now, therefore God must be true. Faith is this tri-perspectival aspect of knowledge, assent, and trust, that we get the facts, we we see why this should make sense logically, philosophically, theologically, whatever, that we assent to it. We, we actually begin to... It goes from our head to our heart. But then trust is actually that moment of stepping and saying, am I actually going to believe that's true? Are you going to sit in the chair and wait to see if you giving up your false god is going to be worth it? God says it is. He says if you give your life to anything but Him, you're going to be empty. But if you give your life to Me, if you center your world around Me... You will be full and happy. You will have life and joy like you've never known. You will also have sadness. But you will be full. Your sadness won't be without purpose. And so as the Israelites are sitting here, their question is, are you going to believe me or not? And your question is, are you going to take God at His word and trust that you will only be free when your life is found in Him or will you continue to sidestep it when the opportunity comes and continue to dodge it when the opportunity presents itself? One is knowledge, the other is faith. Which do you have? Let's pray.